Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Kendall Flutie and hearing about her career journey. Kendall is the co-founder and CEO of Banker, the financial education platform used by more than 150,000 Australasian primary school students and also enjoyed by my eldest son at his school. She has a background in accounting, economics and web development, all of which she now uses as an entrepreneur. Kendall enjoys the new challenge that comes with growing a mission-driven impact business where she can seek to make a difference in our communities. She's been widely recognised for her efforts, winning the 2018 Young Māori Business Leader and 2019 Young New Zealander of the Year. I'm excited to hear more about her career and her journey today. Kia ora, Kendall, and thank you very much for joining me. Kia ora, Anna, and thanks for having me along. Ah, you're welcome. I'm looking forward to hearing more. I'd love to start first of all, and I know you said you'd listen to a couple of the other stories, so you probably know what question Mm. I'm going to ask you first. (laughs) I'd love to hear more. When you were a child or when you were a teenager, what did you want to do or be when you grew up? Yeah, I did know that question was on the way, but nevertheless, look, it didn't help me because I didn't really have an answer to that as a kid. And I found that a little bit distressing the older I got. When you're five and you don't have an answer to that, it's not a big deal. But uh, certainly during high school, not being able to pin down and say, these are my ambitions, or I have to articulate it in snappy job title, it became concerning, especially as all my friends started deciding on what their course would look like. So yeah, I, I just was very lucky in that my parents let me follow the path of my interests at school, which didn't necessarily package up as one tidy job title along the way. And do you know that from speaking to people, I think it's probably, it's more unusual, even if people do have that kind of idea, which I've found a lot of people don't, even if they say they do, but even <laughs> actually that the likelihood of them following that through for their entirety of their career, that's unusual. So I think sometimes we get a bit fixated at an early age of, of knowing what we want to do with the rest of our lives. Yeah, that's a really good point, in particular because I guess we're exposed to far less at a young age. So perhaps it's dangerous to narrow down too quickly. But also I found, at least with some of my friends or um, peers, that if they set their mind to something at a young age, it's 12 even, or just starting high school, 13, there can be a bit of corroboration from their family and friends and that can add a little bit of pressure even if the friends change their mind down the track. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That kind of feeling of what I should be doing and it becomes mm. more of a family journey. You're right. Really interesting. Now, from the wonderful world of LinkedIn, I did take a wee look and I saw that <laughs> one of your first jobs, I'm assuming while you were at uni, was actually at a BP service station. So I'd love to hear, tell me about what did you learn or gain from that role? Yeah, absolutely. I, it was one of my very first jobs. I had a couple during high school, but this was my first regular commitment. I forced to get a job. Uni's a little bit expensive. And having not too many skills behind me, I uh, cast my neck pretty wide and ended up on the forecourt of a BP, which I was more than happy with. And I just got really lucky because my boss there, he was very open-minded um, and interested in what I was studying. And at the time it was business. 
and eventually I found my way into the back office, which being in Dunedin, especially in winter, I was grateful for. And I ended up doing their accounts daily, reconciling the cash, that sort of thing. Uh, and eventually he voiced that he was interested in starting some rental cars as well. And, and I got to oversee that project. And it certainly wasn't a big business. I think we had four or five cars in the fleet. But got to do the branding, um, understand what booking system we were going to use. So starting out from just the applying to, for a role to pump gas, it really did evolve. And I got to not only cut my teeth from a business perspective, but I took on a lot of responsibility at a youngish age. And I really think I thrived in the environment. Yeah, what a wonderful story. And also that kind of illustration of where you never quite know where a job's going to end up when you start it <laughs> and do your best and play to your strengths and, and, and who knows what you might learn along the way. Yeah, that's right. And I think also to be quite open, like what I learned mostly there was to be open with where my interest did not to necessarily complain about being about pumping gas because I learned a few mechanical skills on the forecourt for sure. But if there are opportunities, sometimes you don't know that or recognize that unless you, you communicate with those people who are a little bit above you or potentially have the vision that hasn't been shared with you yet. Yeah, absolutely. And then tell me about the first few years of your post-uni career and what were some of the highlights mm. and challenges there? Yeah, I'm, I'm gravitated towards challenges first, we told. So my lack of understanding of what I wanted to be continued through my uni days as well, which um, was really confronting. And it got right to the very end, you know, I'd stretched out, um, stretched out to four years and a big student loan, and I had to make a decision. So I made the call on accounting, and the truth is I made that decision because that's what my boyfriend was doing, uh, and it was easy to just copy his playbook. So I ended up with a graduate role at an accounting firm in, in Wellington, which wasn't home for me as well, so a new city, and it just wasn't the right fit for me. And when you look at the thought process behind it, you can understand why. Uh, mostly the onus is on me there. Um, so it was quite difficult because I was getting quite a lot of um, reassurance of how successful the role was from family and friends and um, peers who potentially hadn't got that particular role. And I was trying to reconcile what I was doing day in, day out with those thoughts and comments. Uh, and then I had that feel deep down knowing this wasn't quite the right course for me. And I still didn't really have that vision of well, what was the right course. So Look, the, the company was great. I learned a lot of skills that I use today, but it, it really was a misfit for me. And I had to, only after, I think it's six or seven months, I think it does look longer on LinkedIn, though, Anna, if you had a look, um, <laughs> I, I made the call to leave without any real plan B. That's quite a brave call. And also, I think, as you said, that kind of piece of thinking, accounting, it's a career. You can see it. Yeah. It's something that you can tick about. What's your job? I'm an accountant. Uh, from there, I think you move reasonably quickly and in more into the world of entrepreneurship. So talk to me about that journey. Yeah, I actually, after leaving there, I took a little hiatus down back to Dunedin. I had started a small company in my final year of uni on the side, and that was still running. I had a sort of manager overseeing it down there. So I jumped back into that for a I think a couple of months just to take a breath. Maybe it was only a month. Take a breath, reassess my options. And then once that was wrapped up, headed back up to Wellington with a really a ticking clock. Financially, I hadn't saved to the point where I was comfortable with a buffer to be unemployed for a year or so. So I really had to decide about what that next industry was. And Wellington was a great place to answer that question. Um, and it turned out to be the tech 
was the answer. Um, I'd always been really interested in computers. I can remember my stepdad's first laptop used to have fun on that as a five-year-old and all the way through high school as well. You could find me in the computer labs when this was before, you know, everyone had their own device, um, tinkering away before or after school. Um, and I've never really considered it as a career. And I started going along to Friday night drinks and at a few tech firms who welcomed random email requests to come and see what tech was all about and started doing some work online. It's easy to learn a little bit online yourself as well before committing to a, a coding boot camp in Wellington that just happened to be like, honestly, a kilometre and a half or something. The first one in New Zealand opening, perfect timing, really close to my flat. Uh, and I enrolled in their very first cohort. And that was how I transitioned from accounting into tech as a software developer before. And that was the interim, um, the gateway through to tech entrepreneurship. Fascinating. And what was it about technology that really appealed to you? I really, so I think there's a bit of um, misconception around tech. People often think you have to be the maths or science geek and be, you know, really switched on in terms of numbers. But to me, tech's really just more creative. I really like the possibilities of what you can build, how you can improve lives, how you can solve problems all through tech. And you can do it in a pretty cost-effective, quick way. So it was really the creativity that drew me towards tech and the innovation and possibilities. And then what kept me there was really the culture that I was lucky enough to experience both at the course I did and also the first my first job out of that course as well. And hearing you talk, it's really interesting that you know there there's still yeah, technology more broadly, there's still more men than women in it and, mm-hmm. and girls tend to get put off it at a reasonably early age. And I'm not entirely sure that terms like computer science help along the way. Yeah, so to, to what you're saying. But when you talk about it as being kind of creativity and innovation and possibilities, Actually, I can imagine it's almost a shift in language that could help to get more girls and and women into technology. I think that's so true. I think, um, truth be told, one of the reasons I didn't pursue tech straight out of school was not only if I didn't have those role models in my life, but also I probably thought I didn't have the capability because I didn't really understand how it was created. And, And I really do see tech not as science, but as a craft. It's not something that has to be done in one single way when you're writing code. You can bring it to life in a myriad of different ways. And I think that's what people maybe have the misconception around. It's more like painting a picture. So long as it looks like a flower at the end, it's the same end result. You don't have to follow that really formulaic approach. Yep, definitely. And that, that again, that's a sense of possibility, but not one right way. Mm. Yeah, really nice take on it. So you'd finished the, the boot camp. Where did you hear from there? I was so lucky. I my dream job at a firm called Able Tech. They're um, a soft, obviously a software development firm based in Wellington, a really nice size. It's, it's about 30, so it's very different. I was at um, big four accounting firms, so you know, a couple of hundred or, or more, but 30-ish people, a close-knit team, and we work on some really meaty projects from work in the financial sector still. So we did some work for NZX, which I found really interesting because I got to hold on to my passion for business, which I obviously did accounting for the wrong reasons, but there was genuine interest there at the same time. Uh, So I got to hold on to some of that knowledge and apply that in code as well. But Ableteck also had a couple of in-house startups as well. So that's where I got my first real taste of what tech startups were like. And we got to work on on those projects and Again, the owners um, knew that I had an interest in a background in business and accounting, albeit brief, and opened up the possibility for me to 
to contribute to the the business strategy for those startups as well. So yeah, I was, I was really fortunate again in, in the culture and the team and, and that is a really safe landing pad. And I think it's reinstated my trust and confidence in the fact that there is a career out there for me because it's certainly when I first landed in the workforce, I didn't really have that feeling. So although it was a little bit delayed post-uni, I, I certainly think I found a home there. Yeah, and I think sometimes you have to give something a go and try things out in reality to really know what it is that you want to do. University is can be great for some people, it's mm. not for everyone, but just getting that actually doing something gives you a chance to test out, like, what do I really enjoy and what am I really good at? That's right, and it also broadens your perspectives as well in terms of, like, I hadn't, at university, I hadn't really even considered the different cultures that can come with different organisation sizes. Um, or corporate structures. So just having a bit of perspective to know what you don't like can also really reaffirm what you do have when you like it. Yeah, absolutely. And then what was the journey then to founding Banker? Yeah, it's funny. When you find something you like, the world always seems to test you, test your resolve of how much you really like it. So I was really happy at Able Tech and I just needed to come back home to reconnect with my family uh, in particular, I have younger brothers who were growing up pretty fast at the time. Back to Christchurch for a weekend, and that was really where the idea for Banker was born. My brother was learning about money in his school. Uh, he was in intermediate age, so I think he's 12, um, and his teacher was teaching him all about money through the stimulated experience, so it will sound a little bit like Banker already, but it was all paper-based. So the, the teacher had a sort of a log book um, and would keep track of everyone's transactions and everyone's balances. And the students would have to earn money by contributing to the class or coming up with something creative and innovative. Um, and then they'd have to pay their class bills, like renting their school desk. So you had this really interesting dynamic. And my brother had transformed in the last three or six months. I don't know, it had been a while since I'd seen him from this kid who just used to want to talk about sports and then just forced me to bowl cricket bowls to him like until 10 o'clock at night to someone who was asking me questions about tax and was actually interested in the answer. So seeing that shift in him made me extremely curious in what was going on in his classroom. And and hearing you talk about, as I said, my eldest son, he's nine, nearly 10. And I'm sure there's certainly an age thing, but that also he suddenly just started being interested. Oh, I want to earn money. I want to save for this. So when, there is that certain shift in, in age of actually, look, I just want to understand how, how does business work? How does this work? How do I make money, save money? How does tax work? Yes. So I can see that with my own child now. Fascinating. <laughs> it's cool. still a big leap to turn an idea or a thought into, yep, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to run mm. a company <laughs> that, that makes it happen. And that can also feel risky, as you said, particularly if you're already doing a, a role that you love. Mm. How, what was the decision process there for you? Yeah, you're right, certainly is a big void there. And it, it wasn't jumped in, in one giant leap by any means. And I would also love to be able to say that it was a very considered, thoughtful approach, uh, planned in advance, but it really wasn't. That idea just planted itself in my head. Oh, I, I caught up with this teacher as well. I was that sort of enamored by the change in my brother and his confidence and capabilities. I caught up with this teacher. Then, then I returned to, to Wellington and kept on with my day job, which I really enjoyed. And all these sort of fortuitous events popped up. Well, the first being a startup weekend was announced to be held in Wellington soon in the coming month, and it was going to be education themed. So, startup weekends, if this is new for anyone, 
uh, weekend-long events that are facilitated by a few experts in the startup world, and they bring together strangers with backgrounds in either business, design, or software development. And you pitch an idea on the first night, and then you form teams and work around that idea. So I went along, um, and I pitched the idea for Banker. It wasn't called Banker at the time, but I pitched that idea of Essentially, my brother was experienced in his classroom, but the automated version of that, because when chatting to his teacher, who's now one of, spoiler alert, but he's now one of my co-founders, a lot of that manual process took a ton of his time. And Mike, my co-founder, is an amazing teacher, but there was so much that automation could do to support him in the classroom. But also, automation, automated banking, is how you and I engage with the financial world and how all adults engage with the financial world, really. We're transitioning towards a cashless society. So it was a fair representation of the monetary system as well. So I pitched that idea, a simulated banking experience for kids, for Kiwi kids, uh, and some strangers formed around that idea. And we, we built the first version of Banker in a weekend. And that was used on the Monday by Micah and Geordie in, in their classroom. And that was super gratifying. That was really as far as my vision extended, which is creating something awesome for Geordie something that's going to make Micah's life easier. And that was Banker version one. Mm, and so what was Banker version two? I'm yeah. assuming there, there, where did it go from there? A few more versions, hey. So again, <laughs> it's this reoccurring theme of then I just went back to my, my ordinary life. And while I was living my ordinary life, Micah, a few more teachers at Micah's school were using this new thing we created and then a couple of other teachers. And then we started seeing if teachers at Wellington were interested in using it. And eventually we had a semi-substantial number of schools using Banker, which was just a wee side project for the, the five, four or five of us involved at that time. And then we really got to the point where those teachers, who some of whom were paying even, needed a level of service that none of us were providing because we were also working full-time and we, we were only really working on it at nights and the weekends and, and when we had the ability to and I guess with that, sort of took a hard look at what we'd achieved in our spare time and thought, wow, what are the possibilities if we commit to this full-time or even in some sort of part-time structured way? That conversation I had with Geordie where I saw how he had transformed his future, the sophistication and how he was talking financially, but also the fact he was even considering his financial future at his young age. What if we could unlock that for a ton more Kiwis? What would that mean? Uh, and I guess when I pondered that question for long enough, I decided that was a risk I wanted to take. I wanted to see how that could play out. And I certainly didn't know we would be in a year or even three years, um, definitely not five years, which is where we're at now. But I took that jump. Uh, and that was the biggest leap in the story by any means, which is quitting a job you actually love for a small side project that's you know, certainly not breaking even. And I took that leap with one of my other co-founders as well, who's got a background in software development. And we worked pretty much nonstop on the product for six months straight to get it to the point where we could, I'm air quoting, but launch it, launch it nationally um, with a dedicated marketing plan to see, see where we could take this thing. And you talk about it as a risk, but what I quite like about that is that you had tested to see if there was demand and there was obviously demand first before you, you went ahead with it. And I think, you know, rather than getting to the point of fully formed idea and then launching, actually, in reality, you'd tested and refined as you went along the way. Um, yeah. Kendall, I wanted to ask, you know, in terms of your work now, what do you really love about it? 
I think the one thing that's remained constant along the whole journey in terms of what I love, because I've been really fortunate to have different loves along the way, but the constant is that social impact. It's getting into a classroom and seeing kids just like your own nine-year-olds talking to me about having just purchased their first property or opening a term deposit and understanding how that's compounding over time. It's magical to hear a kid talking about that stuff and to know that as research will show them engaging in those conversations and having that knowledge at that young age um, will result in a a better financial outcome for them uh, and enhance their financial well-being. And if you stretch that that out to an entire generation of Kiwi kids and you look at it societally, then that's really exciting. A bunch of empowered kids turn into a bunch of financially empowered adults and what could that mean for New Zealand? So when I'm having a tough day, and there are a lot of those, I certainly don't want to glorify what we do. One thing I try and do is either get into a bank of school or classroom or talk to a bank of kid or teacher, and that immediately reconnects me with the impact and what we're trying to achieve at, at a, at, on a larger scale here. Because mm, I can imagine within the day-to-day work, it could be easy to lose a sense of their purpose and the reason why you're doing it. So to making those connections again, I can see absolutely would reconnect you. And you've shifted now from obviously kind of being more startup faced, being five years in, to being an established mm-hmm. business, tens of thousands of people using it, obviously loads of customers and all the probably administration sometimes that might come with that. How's that journey been from startup to more established business? Been, it's been a learning experience. Mm. It's like yeah, everything I do is typically the first time I'm doing it at some point in stage. So whether it's hiring the first person and trying to get some HR structure in place, if it's engaging or pitching to a new school or a partner or even just if it's doing cash flow or whatever, there's there's always something different and there's always something new to learn. I think the biggest, deepest learning curve for me has been growing the team. And we're not that big now. There's nine of us spread out across the country and and one in Australia as well. But growing that from it being a very sort of insular, in-your-head process where you had you and your co-founder or a couple of co-founders working on this thing full-time and communication was strong, but it certainly wasn't wide. And now having to communicate ideas and visions and strategy and ensuring that everyone believes in that and everyone has a big stake of that so they can come on this journey properly that's been really hard for me, not because I don't trust the team. I think we have an incredibly capable team, but just because I think I'm innately often in my head, and especially with new ideas, and uh, I can have a clear path to where I want us to go, but ensuring that I'm outwardly articulating that to ensure everyone can get excited about that, yeah, that's been the steepest, steepest learning curve for me. And it's not quite as easy when you start something off, it's oh, just have a chat over lunch. Whereas when you exactly. get to nine people scattered around, actually how do I share that? And in a way that makes them feel like they come on board, but also as you said, that they're excited too about where this where this might go. You talked yeah. about some of the the challenges there. Is there anything else that you would want to share in terms of perhaps some of your toughest career challenges or moments? Yeah, there's, there's so many. And I think that's what I first and foremost want to share that I, as I mentioned, I have younger brothers and they've gone down more traditional, nameable career paths that if they get to the end of it, will be pretty linear. But for me, mine certainly wasn't linear. And I think that's fine, not being able to articulate what you want to be when you grow up, 
may feel like it's holding you back and restricting you on your path forward, but it's not. Just because there's not a name doesn't mean you're not acquiring skills and capabilities. Uh, it may be that you just have to invent your job title. Who knows? Maybe your job title is brewing um, and will be coming online in the next couple of years. So I think having those challenges and those setbacks, recognising that they're that sure they feel like setbacks at the time, but they're actually new doors opening, uh, new possibilities. And so not being too hard on myself would have been something that would have been useful for me because it is quite a tough time when all your, it looks like all your friends are succeeding in their chosen career paths and you're continually feeling like you're moving back to square one. But no, they're just more steps on a bit of a wonky path. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like that. A bit of a steps on a wonky path. And even the linear ones, they don't always turn out to be linear in the end. You don't always know what the destination is going to be for any of us at certain points of time in our career. Mm. How do you, I can imagine banker must be pretty full on, particularly as it's, you've got that sense of impact and purpose and wanting to, to bring financial literacy to kids across New Zealand and now Australia. How do you find mm. balance between your working life and, and your life outside work? I didn't have balance for a while and I think that was really detrimental and I'm now really open about that with anyone who's walking a similar path or considering it or perhaps even ahead of me um, on their journey. I think, yes, commitment and dedication is important to any career path, especially if it's your own business, but I think that there needs to be a balance and we always need to make sure our well-being is at the forefront of what we're doing. So having recognised that and having support network and my partner is incredible as well, being able to pull me away from the business or when I'm getting too entrenched in what I'm doing has been vital. But also it has to come from self-recognition and until I was ready to face up to the fact that just being at work and being on my computer for 12 or longer hours a day, uh, it doesn't equate immediately to productivity. It equates to appearing busy and uh, a sense of sense of self-contribution, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm moving the needle in ways that I want to. So now I've, I'm finding, I won't say I've found, but I'm definitely finding more of a sense of balance and I get pulled back into unhealthy situations at times, but having people in your life that can hold you to account in that regard as well has really helped me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think balance is one of those things that it's you don't suddenly, ta-da, I found balance and you're done for the rest of your life. Yeah. I think it's it tends to be, you find it at times, other times you're a bit out of balance and you just have to remember how to get yourself back in there again. You're so right. It's not, yeah, it's not a destination, is it? That once you get there, you just set up camp. It's, yes. it's like the tide and it's coming and going. You just want to try and make sure you're in the right position at the right time. Yeah, and it's little things like ensuring, I've just come back for some leave and it was, incredible incredible time off and it was only you know a week but it was just what I needed to recuperate especially after some of the challenges of this year as well so yeah I think ensuring that you're okay and you've got that well-being will actually allow the business to thrive and it'll allow you to perform as you want to for your team and, and for the business. And I think that's a, there's somehow this almost misconception about entrepreneurs that you need to be full on 24-7, giving your everything to the business. Yeah. And actually, as you say, in reality, looking after yourself and making sure that you're healthy and productive can, in fact, be better for the business. I definitely bought into that rhetoric as well. And, and I probably added to it, actually, over the time. So I'd like to officially go on record and say that <laughs> I retract all those statements that <laughs> I used to start work, stupid hours and and then you buy into some more of the culture as well, like you've then got to do half an hour's meditation or whatever it may be 
that um, the other entrepreneurs are doing or the entrepreneurs in San Fran or whatever it may be. But there's no script and you've got to do what works for you. And I really don't like meditation. So I just play my guitar poorly instead. And that's really relaxing to me. So there's absolutely no playbook um, that you have to follow. You just have to figure out what wellness looks like and feels like for you and take the little steps that will help achieve that. Yeah, great. Super advice. We talked a bit about some of the challenges that you faced along the way. When What have been some of your proudest career moments? I think the challenges revolve around people often. So should the, the things I'm, I'm really proud of as well. It sort of all comes back to people, doesn't it? Like realise along the way it's the point of business and maybe even well enough to say life. So things I actually am really proud of are sort of the other side of the coin, like growing a team, um, which, you know, it, it's something that shouldn't be taken to you know, for granted, these are people's livelihood and we're able to economically support them and their families. Hitting particular milestones as well in terms of the number of students we're reaching. But the thing I'm continually proud of is the fact that we manage that tension between business and social impact. And some of the decisions we've made as a business, if you just had a rough business litmus test, wouldn't really pass um, because the profit margin isn't there or um, for some other reason. But when we hold our social overlay up in as high regards as we do profit or other business drivers, yes, that project or that decision does get passed. So, And that, that's difficult to do, especially when financially you're strapped or there's revenues down for some reason. But holding those morals constantly is something I'm really proud to say that we've done. And that costs us along the way. But I think with a long-term viewpoint um, and having that bigger vision, is we'll leave sort of the legacy that everyone in the team wants to, to leave behind. And I like that sense of pride in that. You're right. Business it t- typically and probably traditionally has come down to financial indicators, whereas more whether it's mm. from the balanced scorecard or whatever it might be, that actually bring in those more social and community and people-oriented environmental elements. If it's one thing to talk about them and it's another thing to actually integrate them and make tough business choices that fully do integrate those. Yeah, fascinating. And where do you see your career heading now in the future? Uh, I don't know. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, Anna. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really, I, I know that whatever I contribute time to will always have a social impact. I love that dance between business and social, and it is a dance, and I wouldn't have one without the other. Wherever I end up, be it in in tech, be it 20 years in banker, hopefully not, who knows, or or whether it's back in a more traditional career, I think I'll always be looking for components of my two first loves, which was business and accounting and technology and software. I love the combination between the two and what you can achieve and unlock. So I'm sure one day some meaty problem will allure me to the point where I follow my path in another direction. Mm, I'm interested to see what that meaty problem might be in the future. <laughs> nice way to put it. And um, my last question for you, Kendall, what career advice might you have for other girls or, or other women mm. in their careers? Yeah, it's really hard because it's so specific to the person, you know. You can't, I really think career decisions we make are a reflection of our values, aspirations, the capabilities we want to develop, what we want to do and be for our whanau and our friends. So I don't think there's one bit of advice I can give you other than try and understand who you are. Um, try and understand who you are now and 
and be open to who you could be in the future because I don't think I thought broadly enough about what I was capable of as a, a young kid. So try and broaden those horizons, expose yourself, write random emails to businesses you don't know and ask if you can come in and talk to them for an hour, which takes a little bit of confidence for sure, but they've got a no from one of those emails. So yeah, I think understanding who you are and your values is a great starting point if you're if you're considering the next step on your career journey. Wonderful advice. Um, Kiro, it's been such a pleasure for me to hear and to hear about that journey as well, right through from, oh, don't really know what I want to do and the kind of the worry and the insecurity come, that comes through with that through to actually finding more of your purpose and your passion and bringing together business and technology in a way that helps Kiwi kids too. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Anna. I've really enjoyed it. Good. My pleasure. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.